I also, again, want to give my congratulations to our grads, and not only to our grads, but to the families of our grads. One of my, I mean, to be honest, not a ton of us find graduation ceremonies to be the most interesting thing. You go there and you hear Dr. Seuss read for the 143rd time or something like that, and it is a great privilege and is something we really enjoy seeing our graduates succeed, but probably the most meaningful part for me of any graduation service is the usual um, thank you to the parents followed by the response from the parents. Because these students, yes, they're thankful to their teachers. Yes, they're thankful to their school. Sometimes you get government officials coming in thanking them. They thank the government official, whatever it might be. But it is the moms and dads, sometimes the grandmas and grandpas and aunties, sometimes the foster families, sometimes, but the families of these students. Those are the ones that really bring me the most joy in those services because it has been a, a family effort to get these students thus far. And so I want to add my congratulations to the parents of these grads, the grandparents of these grads, the extended families of these grads, because, and to the church family of these grads because we have worked together by God's grace and in his will and by his blessing to equip and encourage these students so far, and it is my prayer that we will continue to do so. And it is my joy this morning to again come to God's word and to see how it applies to us. We continue in our work through Ephesians, and by no manipulation of our preaching schedule, once again, God has brought us to a perfect passage for a perfect such day. I hope we would find ourselves encouraged and convicted as necessary as we look into God's living and active word. And our next passage in line happens to be Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 15 to 21, if you want to read along. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's holy word. and I don't think I need to tell you how perfect this passage is for a graduation Sunday. And I don't think I also need to tell you how perfect this passage is and how much of a greatly needed breath of fresh air this passage is for our culture today. 
Last week for Father's Day, we did our bio on George Mueller. And while I was doing so, I ran across an interesting historical tidbit that I didn't know in the past. Did you know that in the 1700s into the 1800s, there arose this practice of writing fictional novels? And these were considered by some in the church as being perhaps questionable at best and outright wicked at worst. And Muller, in explaining his conversion and how he was saved, the next paragraph in his autobiography, he goes on to sorrowfully note, Now my life became very different, though all sins were not given up at once. My wicked companions were given up. The going to taverns was entirely discontinued. At the time when this change took place, I was engaged in translating a novel out of French into German for the press in order to obtain the means of gratifying my desires to see Paris. This plan about the journey was now given up, though I had not light enough to give up the work in which I was engaged, but finished it. The Lord, however, most remarkably put various obstacles in my way and did not allow me to sell the manuscript. At last, seeing that the whole was wrong, I determined never to sell it and was enabled to abide by this determination. The manuscript was burnt. Critics of the genre of fictional novels, particularly those with sensational or morally questionable content, said that novel reading could lead to moral decay and would promote unrealistic expectations of life. Men and women would be led astray by these sinkholes of time. And rather than being engaged in productive and God-honoring pursuits in the real world, would find themselves lost in these fantasy lands of these fictional novels. I am not here to schedule next week's fictional book burning. I am not here to say that novels are wicked and evil. I, myself, am a great lover of good works of fiction. There are novels that ought to be burned. And as we discuss and talk about the wise use of time, you can probably guess what some of them might be. But Sherry is currently in the midst of finishing up the first book of the Chronicles of Narnia with our kids. And it is something they clamor for most evenings. One of the most influential series of books in my life has to be Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. I cannot number the amount of time that I have spent reading Franklin Dixon's Hardy Boys series. I would read and reread and reread those on family road trips. And I remember as probably a Seven, eight-year-old boy, my uncle gave me a copy of the Swiss Family Robinson. It was all bound in a cream-colored velvet, and that book was my constant companion, and I read it I don't know how many times through. Interestingly, the Swiss Family Robinson was published in Switzerland, as you could probably imagine, in 1812 right next door to Muller's home country of Prussia that became Germany. 
I wonder if a rebellious and wayward seven-year-old Moore read this wicked novel as a seven-year-old boy. Anyway, I think there can be great value found in reading good fictional literature. But that's not the primary thrust of my message today. That exhortation from Paul in verses 15 and 16 of our passage was a key proof text for those who sought to root out this indiscriminate novel reading. What does it look like for us today to look carefully then how we walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil? We will get to what it looks like, but I can tell you for sure I know some things that it doesn't look like. Netflix has 232 million paid subscribers worldwide. Amazon Prime Video, 200 million. Disney Plus, 162 million. There is a $77 billion global film industry, a $97 billion global pornography industry, a $231 billion global social media industry. When doing a study, they found that in Canada, users spent over four hours a day on apps on their phone and averaged out to as many as 11 to 13 hours of screen time in a day. That includes sitting and staring at a screen at work, which I think I probably get pretty close to that in a lot of weeks. But all the rest of that stuff paints a picture of not an isolated or a localized issue, but a global issue of the unwise use of time. We are addicted to wasting time in whatever way we can find to do so. We work hard throughout the week so we can enjoy our weekends. And we work hard throughout the week and throughout the years so one day we can retire from working. I'm not against rest, I'm not against enjoyment or fun, and neither is Scripture, but the example that we have from Scripture is not working hard so then we can finally quit working and enjoy ourselves. The Bible has a lot to say about diligent labor. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. We are created to be workers, and that all hails back to creation and the pattern laid for us by God. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, it says, In six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
But when we read the creation account, we're not reading the story of God's six days of drudgery, working to create the universe and all that is in it, that he could finally rest on the seventh day. God spent six days creating what he called very good. And he followed that with a day of rest, enjoying what he had created. Work and rest are intimately connected, and they must not be out of balance with one another, and neither is to be tolerated for the sake of the other. What does it look like for us to walk as wise, not unwise, to use the time in the best way possible because the days are evil? The first thing that jumped out at me when I looked at this passage was that very first phrase in verse 15. Look carefully. Also translated as pay careful attention. Wise living, wise use of time does not just happen. Wise use of time does not just happen by accident. I mean, take a look at your own schedules and calendars. If they're anything like mine, they are filled to the brim. Now with the digital calendars and stuff, you've got all these colorful little schedules all the way through, and mine looks like a Christmas tree with every color under the sun. And we're entering our summer months here, and... When we enter the summer, we typically look ahead into the summer and we see two months of free time. Like, man, two months to, to go and do, do things. We might still have work and some scheduled ministries, but for the most part, the, the main ministries, the main activities that take up a huge portion of our time throughout the year kind of take a break over the summer. And we take a look and go, all right, kids aren't in school anymore. There's some holidays spread through there. Some of the sports teams and whatever else aren't going on. We should go camping. We should go and visit family. We should do this. We should do that. And then you kind of put it up. Yeah, we should do that. And then by the second week of July, you're like, all right, let's see what we can figure out here. And second week of July, you look at your calendar and go, oh, it's full already. There's not a spare week to be found anywhere, much less a spare weekend. Where did that time go? It filled itself. Weddings, reunions, trips, work, family, church, we end up running into a thousand different things to do. Some of them good, some of them bad, and many of them kind of morally ambiguous. If we want to make wise use of our time to work well, then we must look carefully at how we use it. We must take intentional steps to guard our time and to spend it on the things of greatest value and significance. James says in his chapter 4, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. If we've got only these few minutes here on earth, and these are 
inclined to be filled, then we need to fill them well. Think about that. Our time is inclined to be filled, especially in our culture where we don't do stillness well. We don't do time of rest where there's nothing scheduled well. Our time will be filled. If we are inclined to fill it, and it is inclined to be filled, then we need to look carefully as to how we can fill it well. Diligently, we must use the time that we've been given. And how do we do that? This is where that discussion of work and play and creation and relaxation, what makes novel reading a wise or an unwise use of time? Can a person wisely spend their time watching hockey? Can a person wisely spend their time traveling or watching Netflix or camping or fishing or gardening? Or What makes that a wise or an unwise use of time? You can insert your preferred downtime activity there. I know I've hit on a few of them, but you know what you tend to do for your downtime, what makes using that wise or unwise? The days are evil, and therefore we must not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That is the bedrock of how we use our time. Looking and understanding what is the will of the Lord. Knowing that is the foundation of wisdom. It's the definition of wisdom. Many of us are very familiar with King Solomon, the wisest man ever to live. He was given the supernatural gift of wisdom. The story comes in 1 Kings 3. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to come out or go in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between what is good and what is evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself a long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Solomon's wisdom was that he understood the will of God, what was good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. And when we look at our time, 
recognizing that the days are evil, that we are inclined to fill our time, and if we aren't intentional about it, fill it with things that become evil. Wisdom is what we need. Wisdom is what we need. And wisdom helps us deal with the case-by-case situations. Today is not a day where I can say everyone must do this and must not do that. You must not read novels. You must instead read only good Christian biographies. But I can say that every one of us must look at and gauge the use of our time according to the will of the Lord, according to the wisdom that He provides. In James 1, we're promised that if any of us lacks wisdom, we just need to ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given Him. We ask God for wisdom, and we use that wisdom that He gives. And if we take a look at our time, a careful look, asking God, okay, is this a wise use of our time? I do believe he will faithfully answer those prayers. I think the bigger issue is whether or not we like his response. A great example is, in my life, hockey. I love watching hockey. The, every NHL team gets 82 games in a year. And each one of those games is couple hours long, and I would hazard a guess that I am over the majority of their 82 games, so 41 games plus, times a couple hours per game. Was that a wise use of time? There were days when I looked honestly at the schedule and went, all right, the Oilers play today. It's supposed to be a good game. It's against whoever. I went, not a wise use of time today. Or Sherry so kindly kind of looked outside at the lawn that was slowly encroaching on our windows outside and went, we're also needing to mow the lawn. Or I took a look and go, I haven't spent any time with the kids today. Not a wise use of time today. And there's other days where I looked and realized it was a, not a wise use of time, and I went, yeah, but I want to watch it anyways. So I sat down and I watched it anyways, and usually ended up paying the penalty for it later when something important went undone or unattended to. And then there were other days where I sat down and watched the game, and it became a great source of enjoyment and much needed rest, and I watched the game and was refreshed after a long, hard day of work. What made the difference? Was this a wise use of time? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Many of you are familiar with John Piper, and he is a huge proponent of the wise use of time. One of his most well-known books is one that I'm pretty sure has gone out to a couple of our grads over the years called Don't Waste Your Life. He has a whole series, Don't Waste Your Life, Don't Waste Your Divorce, Don't Waste Your Cancer. But he takes a look and goes, 
the things that we experience, the things that we've been given both for good and for ill, all are given to us by God for a purpose and all are given to us by God to be used for his glory. In Don't Waste Your Life, he says, we waste our lives when we do not pray and think and dream and plan and work towards magnifying God in all spheres of life. God created us for this, to live our lives in a way that makes him look more like the greatness and the beauty and the infinite worth that he really is. We can't work every moment of every day. We must rest when the day is done and our work is completed. And we are commanded that we are to rest on the Sabbath day. We have been given the Sabbath day this Sunday, and we have been told to use it as a day of rest. Not a day of, okay, Sunday, I go to church in the morning and spend the rest of the day working to catch up on all the rest of the things from the week and hit the end of Sunday more exhausted than I was when I woke up Sunday morning and further from God because I got that couple hours on Sunday morning and forgot it all by the time I got home because I was worried about the lawn that needed mowing, the animals that needed choring, the honeydew list, the fix-it, the million other things that we have going on. But whether in our work or our play or our rest, all is to continue to point to the glory of God. Remember that in Ephesians chapter 4 and onwards, it becomes Paul's exposition on what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Chapters 1 to 3 was, this is your calling. Chapter 4 and onwards is, okay, now that you know what your calling is, now that you know what God has done for you and what he has called you to, what does it look like to walk that out? And starting in chapter 5 where we are, he opens with, be imitators of God. Do the ways in which we use our time, how we plan to use our time, because not planning how we use our time is the same as planning how we use our time. If we don't plan it, we're just planning to use it to waste it. But how do we plan to use our time? Does it reflect the calling that we've received as a member of God's household? For God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have been called to this. We have been called to acknowledge what Christ has done for us, and we have been called to the good works that he has prepared for us. And do the ways that we plan our time reflect that? Or on the other side of the coin, does our life, the way that we use our time, reflect a life lived as one of the Gentiles, 
as Paul would say it, darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God. So in verse 18, we get a bit of an interesting curveball. Use your time wisely. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Is this kind of the way it seems, feel like kind of a shoehorned in? Also, one more thing while I'm thinking about it, don't get drunk. Or does this, as it usually does in Scripture, does this apply here? Is this a part of this passage? We must consider the use of our time and the way the world uses their time. And when I think of how the world uses their time, few things can more distinctly demonstrate an unwise use of time as drunkenness. Drunkenness is not the be-all and end-all in this passage. It is an example to be used to drive this point home. It's a telling case study for Paul. If you take a look at all the days that you're given, the time that you're given, I dare you to find a way to commend drunkenness as a wise use of time. Drunkenness is pretty clearly defined in Scripture as spending your time in sin. We are to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord and to take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness. That's from earlier in our passage. Some people see a scriptural warrant for total abstinence from alcohol. Others see it for maybe cautious use at best. But both parties, regardless of where they fall on that spectrum, if they come to the scriptures, will find no room for drunkenness in that conversation. And a huge part of this is that we cannot participate in such an activity while still making wise use of time. The alternative is telling here. It says, but be filled with the Spirit. Drunkenness is submitting our members, submitting our bodies, bodies that Paul earlier in this message calls temples of the Most High God, submitting our bodies to the influence and power of something other than God. That's why we call it being under the influence. Our decisions, our will, our reason, our discharge of God's wisdom, all of those are dulled and altered by something foreign to the body, something other than God. We are to be submitted to and controlled by none other than the Spirit of our Lord. This is not to say that the person who is drunk is no longer filled by the Spirit, for God sends His Spirit to all of His people, and He sends Him as a gift that is irrevocable. We are given God's Spirit upon our conversion. Dr. Steve Boss says it this way, if wine controls the mind and ruins one's sense of propriety leading to debauchery, so in stark contrast, being filled with the triune God's presence in the Spirit leads to self-control along with the other spiritual fruits. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In our passage, to be filled with the Spirit leads to right living, free of debauchery, and right living corporately, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Those last couple of verses, 19 to 21, I admit when I looked at this passage, I struggled with how those two things fit together. We have make wise use of time, and then this do not get drunk, and then singing, and psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And went, how do these pair together? And that to be filled with wine and the drunkenness conversation provides a bridge here. That to be filled with wine is to worship none other than self. But to be filled with the Spirit will necessarily lead us to a place of worship of the triune God. And wise use of time will do the same. When I use my example of hockey, one of the things that is incredible for me watching professional sports is I take a look and I see God has put these people together and give them skills that I can't even fathom. How great is our God that a human body can do that? And when I am in a frame where I am wisely using my time and not just sitting back and turning off my brain and letting it turn into mush, I find myself glorifying God for what he has done and how he has been able to create us. It leads me to worship if I am using my time well. If we are to pursue wise living, wise use of time, the will of the Lord, then worship needs to and will become central. That's the heart of what Piper was saying earlier, that our lives will be wasted if the core of our life is not spent directed towards worshiping God. If our calendars, which encompass our time, if our bank records, which encompass our money, if our activities, our physical energies, are going to be spent, and they will. They will be spent. Our time, our money, our energy is going to be spent on something. If they're going to be spent, then we need to choose wisely how to spend them. And choosing wisely how to spend them is choosing what will bring us to worship our God. Left to our own devices, every second of every day, every dime in our wallets, every calorie of energy that we take in is going to get used for something. And left to our own devices, it usually becomes something self-serving. But if we, with the help of the Holy Spirit that God sends, if we take hold of these things, if we submit them in our lives to the worship of God, we harness them offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, 
as our true and proper worship, then we demonstrate that we have indeed been called out of the world, called out of what Paul calls the Gentiles and being called into a new family, a new kingdom, a new purpose. And when we do so, we demonstrate the incredible nature of our God, our devotion to that God. We demonstrate that to God. We say, God, all of our time, work, rest, everything is dedicated to you. And when we live in that way, we show God that we believe that. We show it to our church family. We are called to strengthen and equip one another to bear one another up. And we show our church family and we are examples to our church family as we use our time well. And this is really clear throughout Scripture. It's also an example to our world. Our world does not get why we would waste Sunday spending hours in church. We could be at the lake camping. We could be out fishing. We could be finally mowing the lawn or doing that thing in the shop that's been sitting there for months or whatever it might be. Why would you bother on a beautiful sunny day like this, middle of something, maybe when it's like minus 50 outside and there's nothing better to do, but it's beautiful outside. Why are you sitting in church? Because this is the wise use of our time. Our time is designed, it is given to us by God, and we give our time back to God because He knows the best way for us to use our time. He knows that the most fulfilling thing that we can do is worship and glorify Him. And that doesn't mean that we don't rest. That doesn't mean that we don't ever relax or take our foot off the gas. But it does mean that even in those moments of rest and relaxation, we try to use the wisdom that God provides. We ask God for the wisdom that he provides that he, we might filter out what we're doing and how we're doing it. Some days, reading a novel might be a wicked thing for you to do because you know that you're reading because you don't want to get out and do the thing that you know God wants you to do. But others, other days, sitting down and reading a good book is an incredible gift from God. And this, I mean, you could take this and apply it to everything in your life. Every single one of us knows exactly what this is about. From grads who are deciding, where am I going to go for school? What am I going to do with my life? Everyone's asking me what I'm doing with my life. I need to answer that question now. Do we answer that question by, all right, pull up the Forbes list of the top 10 highest earning professions Oh, well, I don't qualify for those according to my schooling, so, all right, that one I could do. That's where I can make the most money. Or do we go, all right, what's just something I enjoy, and I'm going to do that? Or do we say, God, give me wisdom. Where can I serve you the best? How have you gifted me? How can I use those gifts for your glory? What about parents leading their families and setting the family schedule? 
when your kids come to you, can I do this other random thing that is going on in town? Sometimes. Absolutely. That sounds like a great idea, great use of your time. Other days, you take a look and go, well, that will take you away every Sunday and half a dozen other days of the week. Okay, maybe not a good choice. Or even just the way your family is, okay, are we going on family vacation? I'm going on family vacation in a week on the Monday after next Sunday. We're going on family vacation. That's only a week and a bit of being away. Am I going to spend like a full day worth of that in church somewhere else? I mean, for me as a pastor, that sounds like heaven getting to sit and get preached to and not be up here doing the preaching. I look forward to that. But when we're away on vacation, do we take the time to still gather as we are commanded to? Or for our retirees, how are you going to spend your retirement years? Is your retirement years the time where you can just finally, all right, I did my time. You young guns, go ahead. And unfortunately, that mindset isn't just for the workforce. There's plenty of people who say, well, I put in my time while I was a young person in the church. Your turn. We don't work for rest. We work to glorify God. We rest to glorify God. And in all of things, we endeavor to make the wisest use of time that God has given us because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. The loss that we've experienced in our church over the last number of years tells us really clearly that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. It doesn't matter our age. It doesn't matter our gender, any of those things. We are not guaranteed tomorrow, so use your time wisely to bear the most fruit you can for the kingdom that you, when you are called home, God will take a look at what you have done and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have used what I have given you well, and here is your reward. And all of that, all of this wise use of time is entirely in the power that is provided by the Spirit. Reading my Bible could be an unwise use of time if I do it just as a textbook. There are plenty of New Testament, Old Testament professors in universities somewhere that have this great old book that has shaped our world, so we better study it. I don't believe a lick of what it's saying. Maybe historical bits. We need to wisely use our time and we can only do that by the Spirit. And the Spirit only comes from Christ if we have confessed Him as our Lord and Savior. And we can only confess Him as our Lord and Savior if we know what He has done. If we know the truth that He has died in our place, died to take away the sin that we have engaged in willfully, if we want to wisely use our time, if we want to make the greatest impact we could possibly make with our lives, and that's the, the thrust of just about every grad ceremony valedictorian message I've heard. Make the biggest impact you can. If you want to make the biggest impact you can on this world, you need to use your time wisely 
for God because he has planned how you should use your time. So know what Christ has done for you. Submit your life to him, and wherever he takes you, whether it seems like what you want to do or not, submit to his will because his will is better. And every step of the way, submit even your rest, even your work, your coming, your going, all of it. Submit it to Christ and ask that he would guide you and give you wisdom that he might be glorified in your life. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning incredibly grateful for what you have done. Incredibly grateful for the moments that you've given us. We have woken up this morning. You have given us the very breath in our lungs. What a shame it would be, O oh Lord, to use that breath for anything other than that which brings you glory. And God, we confess that we have done that. We confess that we have spent our time unwisely. We confess that we have spent everything that you've given us in ways that would deny what you have done. So Lord, we ask your forgiveness for the unwise unrighteous, sinful ways that we have used our time. And we pray that you would give us the wisdom. Each one of these people, each one who is joining with us online, give us the wisdom to know what is a wise use of our time, what is a use of our time that would bring us to worship. And then by your Spirit, give us the will to do it. Give us the will to pursue that which would bring you the most glory. Lord, I thank you for each one of these brothers and sisters. I thank you that they have wisely chosen to come and worship you on this Lord's day. And I pray that the rest of this Sabbath day would be used in a great time of rest, a great time of worship for you in what you have given us that we might be refreshed and prepared for six more days of great creative work for your glory. And God, I commit particularly this morning our graduates to you. May they wisely use their time as their eyes are turned towards the rest of their lives after high school. May they seek your wisdom May they seek your wisdom for your glory. And may we support them as they pursue the paths that you set them down. We thank you for these things. We thank you for each brother and sister here. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.